always so confident, aren't you? Just like you were Wednesday. That's okay. I'm always so confident too that I'll finish, but we, we never know. Nevertheless, verse number 10 this morning. Paul is writing, and as he's finishing up this chapter, this is really the, the very middle section and much of the heart of the rest of this, uh, this, this book. We often think of books or letters sort of having bookends, if you will, but in the, in the middle to be the meat. But here, I think the chapter 3 acts not necessarily as the meat, but more so as the bookends. The first part of chapter 3 tells us why Timothy had been sent in the first place and, and shows Paul's heart, his defense of how much he cares and loves the church at Thessalonica. And then what we find is that uh, we have this good report and then Paul's praying for them, which we're going to get into today, which ends with that same concern and that same motivation that Christ is coming. That Christ is coming. Eternity is a breath away. That the Lord Jesus' return, His snatching out the church is, is imminent. That means anytime, right? We sing songs morning, evening, night or noon, right? Uh, the whole thing, right? Why do we do that? Is it because we're trying to tell the time or remember the days or seasons? No, it's because He could come at any moment. Now, you and I, we try to make appointments when we say, you know, the doctor makes an appointment. Hey, you've got an appointment at, a, at 11 o'clock. And you go, okay, well, that means 11 o'clock. We show up at 11 o'clock. But for the doctor, that means sometime between 11 and 12, right? He's a busy man. He gets backed up. The Lord's calling His church home. When that happens, the rapture, it will not be delayed. It will not be prolonged. It will, it will happen when the Lord says it will happen. And guess what? When He said it's going to happen. You ready? When He has it happen. That's it. We don't know. And if we did know, we would probably be much more lethargic as a church and a people than we are now. And that's sad to say. Nevertheless, as we get into this today, what we're going to find is that this whole motivation that Christ is coming, this is our desire, this is Paul's motivation, this is the church's motivation, this should be our motivation as well. But we're going to see today Paul's prayer for the church because though he commends them in chapter 3 for all these good things that they got going on, he says, but you're not done yet. We should always be making progress, right? Now let's look here. Verse number 10 says, Night and day praying exceedingly that we might see your face and might perfect that which is lacking in your faith. Now God Himself and our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ direct our way unto you, and the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men, even as we do toward you. To the end He may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all His saints." Today, we're, if, you, if you're in your booklet and you're wondering where we're at, find where it says Paul's Prayer, verse 11 to 13, and back up a point. All right, We're going to be where it says Paul is exceedingly in prayer for these believers, both in thanksgiving and petition for their continued enduring faith. Paul knows and believes that his work is not done just because the church at Thessalonica has been discovered by Timothy to have a good report that they are, that they are being established and enduring and um, that they are... Uh, going through all the, the turmoil and the trials, the tribulations that they've gone through, but yet they're doing so faithfully. right? As a matter of fact, uh, we look back at verse number 6 down. He says, But now when Timothy came back uh, from you unto us and brought us good tidings of your faith, charity, that you have a good remembrance of us always desiring greatly to see us as we also to see you. Therefore, brethren, we were comforted. right? We should have comfort knowing 
that God is growing His church, that God is strengthening His church, we should be happy that other people are growing to know the Lord. It should make us happy that other people are being impacted. One of my, one of my favorite things about this past week and being at the prayer advance is to see God helping not just me, but others. Right? It should encourage us to know that God wants to use them too, that God wants to help them and, and meet their needs and provide for them. And so here, as we're getting to this, we see now Paul's great heart. I believe that his heart uh, for, for being a pastor, not just a, an evangelist or, or, a, or a, a missionary or a church planner or whatever you might want to say, or a letter writer, right? We find his real heart here. Night and day, praying exceedingly that we might see your face. He doesn't just say night and day, praying that you don't mess this thing up. He doesn't say night and day, praying that you don't uh, go into sin. He says night and day, praying exceedingly that we might see your face. I would wonder, before we really get in deep into our booklet today, when's the last time that we were praying, I can't wait to, Lord, let me see so-and-so at church today kind of hits us, don't it, right? Most of the time, we're going, Lord, just help me get to church, right? Help me make it to church, <laughs> right? Especially come wintertime, sickness, weather, the whole thing. When's the last time that we're going, Lord, I want to see so-and-so at church today? Now, that's, that's an encouraging thing because we should have such a desire. But Paul wants to see their face, and he says, might perfect that which is lacking in your faith. Paul says, I want to see you because I want to fellowship with you. But he says, I want to see you because I want to strengthen what you already have. Now, here, what we find is that Timothy's report shows that a foundation has already been laid. The foundation of real Christian living and church life is found in verse number 6. It starts with what? Faith. If there is no faith in what? Faith in the gospel of Christ. That's the foundation. Without faith, trust, dependence upon God and upon His Word... Everything else just does not matter. It doesn't even compare. You've got to have that right. But then notice, it's charity. What's that? What do we call it today? As love. Love for what? Naturally, what he's speaking of is that there is a love for God because they've trusted in God. They have faith. Real faith produces real love. We talked about this when we went through 1 John last year in Sunday school. Real faith produces real love. So they had a real genuine love for God and a real genuine love for God's church as we should have today but that's not all that we should have. There is much more. That is merely basic Christianity 101, if you will, right? That's freshman year stuff, right? That's entry level. We should know that there's real faith and that should produce real love, and we have that. Then what we find is that he wants to strengthen what is lacking. You go, well, if they got faith and they got love, what, what could be lacking? Deeper faith. Deeper love. Because no matter how long you have been saved, you have not reached the bottom of faith. No matter how long you have been in church, you have not reached the bottom of loving God and His people. If that were the case, if all of us had reached where we should be with faith and love, just two things, just the very foundational things of faith and love, what do you think our church would look like? What do you think our community would look like? Because a church where every member gets a hold of faith and love and goes deeper and deeper in faith and love, and that's really the basic principles of all that we're shooting for here, right? Faith and love, faith and love, faith and love, deeper, deeper, deeper. What will it cause us to do? 
to go higher in our worship and knowledge of God, to be able to have a greater and higher fellowship with Him, but as well, a broader reach for Christ. It naturally has a ripple effect where it will not just be seen here, where, oh, look at us. If you come here, we're going to grow deeper, deeper, deeper. But if we go deeper, it is to produce higher fruit, wider fruit. And that is what God desires to do. Sorensen writes, several comments bear making regarding, uh, uh, um, comments bear making regarding Paul's li- uh, prayer life. One, it included regular thanks to God, as it should. Two, it was night and day. Now, that is, it is continual. Isn't Paul the one who said, pray without ceasing? Pray always. Pray always with thanks. Give thanks. Because not, he was going, you know, I think this is a good thing, or it's a nice thing, or, you know, it's working for me, so you give it a shot. That is what prayer is. Prayer without thanks is not prayer. Prayer with ceasing is not a prayer life. It might be a prayer, but it does not make a prayer life. And a prayer life, mind you, does not make little... Oh, I prayed for that. I prayed for that. And that's my prayer life. Prayer life is a life of prayer. It is continuously depending upon the Lord, directing our hearts to the Lord, going to the Lord, night and day, if you will. So when should you pray? When's a good time to pray? Night and day. Now, some of us, you know, when we think praying night and day, we think of some sort of Gregorian monk in a cave or a monastery somewhere, locks himself up in a dungeon, and all he does is pray, drink water. That's not what God's calling us here to. Now, if He called you to do that, you knock yourself out, all right? But for the rest of us, what has He called us to do? During your day, not only make time to pray, but prayer should make time in you, if that makes sense. The more you pray, it will be causing you to want that time, to draw near to that time, and that you would not just be setting aside a time, but that all the time in the day would be something to pray for. You and I know little about, Lord, help me to put, help me put my clothes on today. Anybody ever trip putting their pants on, or a shoe, or a sock? No, just 29-year-old agile Pastor Joe, right? Light on his feet like a cat. <laughs> yeah, right. You and I need help putting on chapstick. I mean, we need, we need God for everything. But here's the thing, we must be praying. Because there is nothing in your day that you don't need the Lord for. Then what we often do is we have our nighttime prayer. We sit aside and we, you know, I, I grew up doing... Um, and I was taught this, you can fault my mom and dad, I don't do it anymore, okay, I, we've progressed, doing the, the now I lay me down to sleep, right? That was my nighttime prayer, that was it. You know why? One, I got taught it, but two, I was afraid of the dark. I'm not as afraid now, because I can afford a nightlight. <laughs> but have you ever noticed sometimes you wake up at night and you're restless? Go back to lay down, you can't sleep. Easiest thing to do, Pray. Because either one, you'll be able to stay awake and you'll pray, and that can get a lot more done than you can when you're awake and working. Prayer can accomplish an awful lot. Or, communing with God will put you right back to sleep. Neither one of those is a bad option, is it? So we see night and day, night and day, pray. Furthermore, Sorensen writes, it was fervent. The phrase praying exceedingly has that sense. It is that, it's not just I'm praying for you, right? Right? It's not I'm praying a little for you or I'm going to pray.
pray today for you, or I'm going to pray right now for you. It is praying exceedingly. It is an abundance of prayer. Can we pray too much? I don't believe so. Can we go to God too much for too many things? No. The great thing about prayer is He is our Heavenly Father, right? Which makes us His adopted sons and daughters. We have joint heir with Jesus. We, we belong to Him. So we have every right, every right through Christ and in Christ alone to go to God anytime. There was a, a story given by to, uh, the, one of the speakers this past weekend. He was talking about how we have that right to pray. He was talking about how he was uh, pastoring and he was counseling one of the first couples that had been saved and discipling his church, that sort of thing. And he'd always told his kids, you can come in, you, whatever you need, you come to me, right? Well, as he's in the middle of this deep conversation with marriage counseling, the whole thing, and, and it gets deep quick, and then all of a sudden his door poof, busts open. And this little three-year-old kid comes in and he goes, buddy, hey, what's, what's wrong? This kid marches right over to me. He said, Dad, I got a problem. Oh, it's serious, right? Three-year-old, Dad, I got a problem. It's, it's big. What is it, son? He brings him over, sits him up, and th- just, the kid just ignores, you know, the couple of, ignores what's happening, can't read the room, you know. Reaches up to his dad. He's holding a pack of Skittles. He said, I can't open them. That's right. He said, I can't open them. He goes, sure, son. Grabs a pack of Skittles, opens them up, says, now go play. Kid walks right by, doesn't even see the couple, walks out, closes the door. He's good. Now to you and I, it sounds so silly because that's the mind of a child. But what should our mind be like with the Lord? Much the same. Everything from, Lord, I can't open the pickle jar. Lord, I can't find my keys. Right? We have a multitude of things to pray for. We should be praying exceedingly. Because God tells us in His Word that He is able to do exceedingly than what we think He could ever do. Sometimes we limit God in the sense that we think He can only do what we think He can do. God can not only do what we think He can do, He can do what He's told us He can do. The same God that parted waters and moved mountains and had the sun stand still, is he not the same God today as he was then? Of course he is. We've talked about this. He doesn't change. So then our prayer should be exceeding. right? Furthermore, it was intercessory as they prayed for the spiritual needs of others, that which was lacking in their faith. This is the fifth time in this chapter that faith is mentioned. Of further significance was Paul's desire to perfect, to complete whatever they did lack in their faith. That should be our desire. What are you lacking in your faith today? Do you think, whatever it might be, that God would want to take care of that lack? Prayer is trusting that God will open up that bag of Skittles for you. And that you can go to Him and that He can provide for whatever you lack, whatever you need. Furthermore, Green writes, there were deficiencies in their faith. Because of the short time the apostolic team spent in the city, it appears that they had insufficient opportunity to impart all the Christian instruction the believers needed, right? This is why Timothy had been sent back. Go see what they're like. Establish them. Encourage them, right? In verse number uh, 1 through 3 of this chapter, right? goes on, he says, What is more is the Thessalonians had not been fully mindful of the teaching they had received. We'll see that in chapter 5, verse 1 through 2. 
They did not take to heart or accept all the teaching on sexuality, chapter 4, verse 3 through 8. That's why he has stressed that. And they needed to progress in a Christian approach to labor, chapter 4, verse 11 to 12. A visit to the church was called for because Paul was an essential instrument in the process of spiritual maturation. Establishing and encouraging and enduring must continue in the life of the church and individual Christian. It begins in your heart, it spreads to your home, and then it comes to the house of God. And we need that today. Every Christian needs progress. Progress is found in the inner man first. We think that progress is only on the outside. We think of someone progressing as a Christian because they curse less, they're not a drunk anymore, uh, they dress nicer, things like that, right? I've heard it been said before that, that God changes a heart before He changes a shirt. And that's important to know. Because at the end of the day, God cares much more about the inner man because the inner man controls the outer man. You know who told you to do whatever you did on the outside? You did, on the inside. That's it. That's the key. Now, Paul's pastoral heart is a thankful heart for their growth, but he's not satisfied with any believer lacking in their growth. No Christian should be satisfied with not going deeper in their knowledge and walk with God. I love Paul's heart here something that I want as a pastor. As a pastor, every minister, every one of us for that matter, should not be satisfied with people going, you know what, I think this is good enough in my Christian walk. This is about as far as I want to go. It should never be as far as I want to go. We should always want to go deeper with God. Farther with God. You say, well, that, well that's what heaven's for. No, heaven is only the, the realization of it. It's where there it is, full, final, and complete. But right now, we should never hear a Christian, and sadly, I've heard this more times than I would, I would care for. What hurts a pastor more and what hurts a church more is when people are satisfied to not grow. Now, we're not talking about growth numerically. That's a different story but to grow deeper with God. To grow deeper in a knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. To grow deeper in grace. To grow deeper in faith. To grow deeper in love. As we get into verse 11 to 13, we see Paul's prayer continued. We see really what he was praying exceedingly. Now God Himself and our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way unto you. Why does he pray? Because nothing beats prayer. Nothing tops it. No program can be a better program than prayer. No work can ever be done without prayer or should be attempted without prayer. And prayer should not just be done before a work gets done or gets started, but rather before it gets started, as it gets started, as it's going, as it's ending, and after it's done. Always praying. Edward writes, after stating that he prays continuously and exceedingly, we now have an actual prayer, such as we find occasionally in Paul's letters. He addresses our God and Father Himself and our Lord Jesus Christ, right? That God has revealed Himself as Father in Christ is a peculiarly Christian insight. Also, it is, in, it is significant theologically that Paul associates Christ with God in such a way that it, he is seen as sharing the prerogatives of deity, right? 
Because in the first century, what was being attacked? Either one, that Christ wasn't a man, or two, that Christ was not God. What is still being attacked today? The same exact thing. It hasn't changed. Why? Because the devil's tactics have not changed either. They've only progressed with technology and with man's evil inventions at times. The devil has used what he's got to work with, but one thing that he's always used is deception. Did God really say? Is God really God? Can you really trust Him? He's pretty basic. But he's deceitful with how he goes about it. Furthermore, he continues. He says, Paul's prayer to God is that he might clear the way for Paul to return to Thessalonica. The manner in which this is to happen is left to God. It appears as if this was a prayer, as if this prayer was not answered for some time. Acts chapter 20, verse 1 and 2. Prayer and faith. Why? Because faith prays. You won't pray unless you believe God. And your prayer will avail nothing unless you believe God. We often make the mistake because we know how to pray. We know that we ought to pray. But a failure to pray is a failure to believe. And every time that we don't pray about something, it's because we're saying, I just don't know if God, one, cares, or if God can, or if God... Any of those things. Prayer says, I believe God. That's what our life should look like. And that was Paul's heart. But notice, I love how the commentator puts it. However this happens, it is left to God. You and I want to pray to the Lord for Him to do it how we want it done. We often pray without ever saying it because we're not near brave enough. Lord, not Your will but mine be done. Much of our prayer life looks like that. God, don't you think you ought to? God, I'd really like it if, and there's nothing wrong with saying, God, I'd really like it if, but it must be with a, but your will be done, even if that means my will must be broken to match your will. Paul would be able to be content as we find in all things, whether he's abounding or, or, or poor or naked or clothed, or, Whatever it is, he knows how to abound in the Lord, to, to trust the Lord, to give it to the Lord, and to trust Him with every single thing. As Green puts it, the prayer was that God, the Lord Jesus Himself, would facilitate the founder's return to the Thessalonians without impediment and without any change in plans. As such, the petition is the counterpoint the satanic opposition that impeded their return previously in chapter 2, verse 18, where it says, Wherefore we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again, but Satan hindered us. Paul is praying, Lord, let me get there. Why? Because Paul wants to go strut around like a peacock and go, Look, it's me, it's Paul. I showed up. No. He wants to help them where they are lacking. That's a pastoral heart. We're all lacking, are we not? Most of us don't care to say that we lack spiritually because we go, you know, I did A, B, and C, or X, Y, and Z, and so therefore I must be one, two, and three, right? But we all have some things, and the Lord is always showing us things where we're lacking. That's a good thing. He does it so we don't have to lack there anymore. God would love not only to fill up your cup, but he does so from his storehouse, and it never has a shortage. Therefore, we can go to him and trust him. So whenever our cup is not full, it may be full and even overflowing. 
whenever we have a crack, whenever we're unsure, God can take care of it. Paul prays that the church that it already has love would continue to increase in abounding love for one another and even unto all with his own love for them being an example. Notice in verse 12, and the Lord make you to increase, so it means have more of and abound of and more, more, more of, in love one toward another and toward all men, even as we do toward you. You and I have an easier time loving each other than we do the world because we get angry at the world, we get frustrated at the world, we get well angry and frustrated with ourselves, but we go, well, you know, they're Christian, they messed up, I can forgive them, I ought to forgive them. We get mad at the world, we get mad at ourselves, but what should it look like? We should increase and abound in love one toward another. Why? Because God's love abounds in us. And if that's the case, it ought to abound in this place. This should be a place where you know when you walk in the back doors that you're loved. It should be on your face when you go into the community, even when everybody in the community at Walmart, Dollar General, Food, wherever it is, is irritating you. And let's be honest, it happens a lot. People get in our way. People are slow. People are inconsiderate. And guess what? So are we because someone else is thinking about us. We must abound in love. And walking around like you're sucking on lemons all day is not going to show love, is it? Walking around grumpy, not giving a tip to a waiter, let alone a good one. It does not show love. It shows an unsatisfied heart. Sorensen puts it, The thought was his desire that they would grow, in fact, abound in love toward each other and toward all others. The example there, too, was Paul's love for them. Has Paul shown his love? Yeah. He said, I love you like a mother nurses a child. I love you like a father exhorts his kids and teaches them and trains them. He says, I love you that Satan has hindered me, but I'm praying that I can just see your face. I'm praying exceedingly just to see your face. There is always a need to grow in selfless, devoted love for one another in the life of the Christian and the church. You can tell how loving a church is based on how loving its members are. It's members that make up the church. Now, some of us sometimes aren't so loving. You ever been in a church? Man, they're a very loving church. What makes a loving church? People that abound and increase in love. And not one of us have reached the tip-top point of going, I just don't think I can love anybody as much as I do right now. We're going to always go deeper and deeper, as we should. Here, Paul prays then, not just that they would abound in love, but he gives sort of this closing reason. That to the end, he may establish, as we had talked about earlier in the chapter, your hearts unblameable in holiness. God or Paul or even Pastor Joe is not looking for perfection because we'll never find it here. We're looking for us to live holy lives. Paul doesn't say, I want you guys to be just healthy, wealthy, and wise. No. I want you to be holy. Why? Because God wants us to be holy. He wants us to be blameless. But notice this. The focus is at the coming of Christ. If the Lord came today, what would He find? If today, it just opened up and up we go. What would He find sitting here? 
Would he find some folks still sitting here? Would he find some folks sitting here? Bless me if you can. What would he find? Would he find love abounding in the pews? Would he find hearts surrendered to him? Would he find a church living blamelessly before him, living for his coming? What would he find? It's not so much in the future because he can look and he can see what he's finding right now. He sees through the ceiling. He sees through the fake smiles. He sees through our clothes. He sees through our hearts that are often hardened or cold or calloused. Christ is coming. Paul prays that they would be blameless and holy before the Lord in the light of His coming. I'm going to skip through here just a hair. What is clearly implied is that a heart saturated with true agape love will result in holiness. You want to grow to be holy? Learn to love God. You want others to be holy? Love them. and Be an example of love and holiness. Paul was reminded of Jesus' return because nothing, nothing can encourage us to holiness like remembering that Jesus might come today. Sorensen puts it, Paul was reminded of Jesus' return because nothing can encourage us. Oh, I put that twice, didn't I? But you know, I guess it's needed twice. Christ is coming. Are we growing deeper in faith and love? Are we growing deeper in a desire for God? What do we look like today? Where's our hearts? Are we blameless? If not, today and right now, before we even get into worship hour, it's a good time to start. Ask the Lord to search your heart. Get those things out. Give your heart to Him. Ask Him to help you increase and abound in love and faith. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this time. And we're grateful for your faithfulness. We thank you that we can.